One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The much-vaunted revenge of Iran came last night when 22 missiles were fired at two Iraqi military bases housing US and coalition troops. Despite the dire warnings from the Tehran regime and the predictions of World War III looming, there were no casualties and no apparent UK personnel were affected either. Donald Trump's response was to tweet out, all is well, so far so good, as the realisation sunk in that a more dangerous scenario uh, may have been avoided. However, Iran says the attacks are just the first step uh, and it may well be that their response to the killing last Friday of Major General Qasim Soleimani will continue over the next few days. Are you feeling safer this morning knowing that World War 3 is probably not actually going to happen? We'll be speaking to Paul Stott from the Henry Jackson Society very shortly who's live in the studio. We are live streaming the show of course today as well so if you are listening to us you can watch us too on YouTube, on Twitter and on Facebook. One piece of collateral damage could well be the crash of a Ukraine International Airlines Boeing 737-800 carrying 176 passengers which plunged to the ground shortly after takeoff from Tehran last night. An investigation is already underway to work out whether it may have been hit by one of the Iranian missiles. 0344 499 Coming up later on, we're joined by Yuri Geller, who has volunteered his services to Dominic Cummings and Downing Street for the Boris Project. And Stuart Jackson joins us for the first Prime Minister's Questions of the Year. And he might have something to say as well about why Peterborough has been voted the worst place to live in Britain. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and watching me right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So finally last night, there was some retaliation from Iran uh, for the assassination of their military leader, of course, uh, Qasem Soleimani, who was assassinated on Friday uh, by a drone strike uh, managed from Washington, D.C. Iran fires 22 missiles at various air bases in revenge for Soleimani's killing. However, it does seem to be more fire and fury rather than uh, actual military damage. We've got Paul Stott with us here, research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society. Dr Paul, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Nice to have you in the studio with us. Um, this was, I suppose, something we expected Iran to do. So far, so good is what Donald Trump says. Um, is this the end of it, do you think? It's not the end of it. Um, it may be the beginning um, of the end. I think the, the scenes in Tehran, you know, these huge outbreaks of emotion, the, the sort of standard stampede even that you often get when dictators yeah. have died and, and, and what have you, um, that had to be followed up by something mm. for that domestic audience. Iran would have looked too weak um, 
otherwise. The, the danger for the Iranian regime is its first priority is remaining in power. Yeah. It's faced domestic challenge uh, last year on the streets, faced significant domestic challenge 2009. It's never been a regime that has felt totally secure. Mm. The last thing it wants to do is to get, on a, get in a, a full-on fight with a stronger force, and the Americans are a stronger force. And when you and I spoke, I think, last time about the actual drone strike, um, certainly it would be very clear to them that the Americans have got some, not only some great technology and some great weaponry, but also some very good intelligence on where Soleimani was at the time they picked him off. Precisely. And um, the Iranian leadership uh, now know that, in effect, their number two guy uh, within the regime, the leader of their military operations in a whole series of neighbouring uh, countries, you know, if he's not immune, then nobody is. And that does... That does give pause for thought. It certainly does. It sort of concentrates the mind, I would imagine. And was was what they did last night more about sort of looking good to their uh, to their followers and to their to their country, if you like? Well, I think we have to be clear. It, it is an escalation in that here you have um, weaponry be, uh, weapons being fired from Iran itself. Mm. Uh, into another country, uh, into uh, another sovereign country in Iraq, and targeted at US bases that are there mm. with the agreement of the uh, with the Iranian government. It certainly wasn't the full sort of uh, fusillade that um, some might have been uh, expecting on the uh, on the more hardliner uh, side. We don't know too much as yet about casualties, but uh, they appear to be even minimal or zero yeah. on the on the American side. Those bases will be uh, in lockdown, and uh, they'll have known that such an attack was a high possibility. And thus far, the Iranians are yet to, if you like, pierce America's defences. No, quite. And we've heard, we've we've seen in the last few days reports that you know evacuation forces have been put out into Baghdad just in case they have to help uh, get get some some Brits out. Because we actually spoke to somebody the other day uh, whose son was working for G4S out there. So there's quite a few people, sort of non-specific military staff working for security companies and the oil business and all of that. So there are quite a few Brits actually in the region, aren't there? Yes, I've seen a figure uh, of 400 for the, the British military personnel who've been involved in things like training, giving advice structure to the fight against Islamic State, where the Iranian military didn't particularly distinguish itself for, for a very long time. Sorry, the, the Iraqi military. But as you say, you also have whole series of private contractors, uh, people working for security companies. And unfortunately, I mean, they've, they've always been a target by the, by the nature of the conflict um, in Iraq, but they're uh, much more of a, of a target now because Britain is, is America's ally. Mm, absolutely right. And so, I mean, more Chinooks being sent out. I mean, what would be the likelihood today? That, I mean, we've got Prime Minister's questions coming up later on. Presumably, Jeremy Corbyn will be asking the Prime Minister a few questions about what his policy is going to be on Iraq, even though he probably won't be able to say what that is. Um, clearly, the British position at the moment is to kind of be supportive of Donald Trump, but not too much of a cheerleader. Yes, I think if a, if a friend gets into a fight, you are on a bound to stand by your friend, and that's the, the British position, and it should be. If your friend gets into a fight and they're in the wrong, again, it's your, your duty to try and uh, move your friend towards a better position, a, a more sensible position. I don't think the Americans are in the wrong here. The action against Soleimani was, was justified. It could, if anything, have, have happened earlier. We know the Iranians were involved in attacks on shipping yeah. uh, last year. 
Um, there was the uh, shooting down of the American drone where the US went very close to conflict. If you remember also, um, John Bolton left the American uh, administration that uh, you know he and Trump didn't agree on the on the response. So I think the, the British position will hear more from, from Boris um, today, um, but he's likely to set out uh, a, a position of, uh, if you like, uh, critical support or uh, you know, standing by the Americans, mm. but not wanting to get giddy or, or, or gung-ho, which nobody does. No, I mean, some people have suggested that this will begin the new kind of formation of, t- of more talks, if you like, about the, the nuclear deterrent, the whole conversation that, that I suppose the Europeans wanted to have with, with Tehran, and they'll start having those talks again with the United States. Yes, and I think if you, if you try and get into sort of Trump's strategic approach, he does want to negotiate, but he wants to negotiate from a position of strength. And in ripping up the nuclear deal that Obama had developed with Iran, he considered that a bad deal Mm. as leaning too much towards the uh, Iranian side. We're now in a position where the Iranians know that nobody uh, in their uh, military or political leadership is uh, is safe uh, from American um, uh, retaliation if they step out of line. And so we could move to a position where those talks restart again but uh, if I was a betting man I'd be holding off a little bit yes indeed and what is the view generally abroad about what their capability is at the moment and what what their nuclear strength is at the moment I I, I think they've moved towards ripping up uh, the deal on their side not just on the American side and that was putting the European Union uh, and the UK in a in a slightly difficult position because Britain and uh, the EU wanted to continue with the deal even though the Americans had uh, had ripped it up. Um, I don't think there is any possibility of um, Iran being allowed to develop a nuclear weapon or getting close to the stage where it would. Mm. And that's a, a red line, not just for the United States, it's a red line for Israel, it's a red line for Saudi Arabia, and if you're a believer in regional and global peace, it should be a red line for you as well. Yeah, because Israel's always been very nervous of Iran, hasn't it? And, and they've been sort of strangely quite quiet about all of these happenings over the last week or so, but, but presumably they'll be very much in favour of a stronger um, United States under Donald Trump. I, I think so. Netanyahu you said very little, um, really. I think there was one. I mean, he's problem. got his own problems, I suppose, hasn't he? He's, he's busy yes. trying to seek <laughs> some kind of, um, you know, <laughs> immunity from prosecution. Yeah, uh, Israel's surrounded by enemies, all of whom wish to to see it fall. Yeah. In military terms, the Israelis know that Iran is the most capable player in the region, and also that it has a large number of proxies in the, the Hezbollah mm. terrorist group in Lebanon who are holding their weapons, potentially, for a, for a case like this. Um, I think it's very likely uh, Israel in the past would have considered a strike on Soleimani himself and perhaps erred on the side of uh, caution. Right. Um, the Americans didn't. I mean, that's the question, I suppose, with Hezbollah, is what is Hezbollah's long-running game, if you like? I mean, do they like being in southern Lebanon and kind of having a standoff permanently with Israel? Or do they really want to go in and do something with Israel? Well, Hezbollah's a a sort of multifaceted group in that um, it's a sort of social welfare project, political party, and then military stroke terrorist group, however you wish to to define it. And it's been so heavily armed and trained 
by uh, Iran over many years, it is in a position where it's a stronger player than the Lebanese army, for example. The reality, though, is that they fought so much in the Syrian conflict and they've taken such heavy losses, they would probably prefer, for strategic reasons, a period of quiet rather than going into battle yet again mm. when they've lost so many men, so many so many good fighters over the last few years in Syria. And that conflict, of course, isn't resolved either. No. And with Soleimani out of the picture, what does that mean for ISIS? Because a lot of people said that he was, while fighting um, ISIS at various points of his kind of military career, uh, he was quite responsible for setting it up in a way. Well, the, uh, these are organisations on, on different sides of, of Islam's sectarian uh, yeah. divide. But um, the, the conflict uh, between the two really uh, gets going with um, Syria requiring uh, Iran's support and Russia's support in order to, um, to fight uh, Islamic State. The, the nature of that conflict... Um, one of the one of the selling points for Islamic State was the fact that they could portray it as a fight against the Shia, mm. and so that really is where that you know recruiting sergeant point that you make um, goes back to. If you look, for example, at some of the uh, Islamist uh, organisations, groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, for example, some of their theological leaders they came out and supported the conflict. Uh, in Syria mm. because it was a fight against the Shia. Right. And so um, the, the the response from some of the Islamists has been quite interesting to Soleimani's death, that whilst they look politically to, if you like, bash the Americans and to uh, criticise British and American uh, foreign policy, some of them haven't necessarily mourned Soleimani because they're thinking about that conflict mm. uh, with the armed uh, Sunni jihadists right. in Syria. One sort of side issue that, that may or may not become important or more important is the shooting down, if possible, if it turns out that way, of this Ukrainian Boeing 737 because there are some suggestions that it might have somehow been caught in the crossfire uh, with these uh, 22 missiles that were fired. I think four of them misfired, a mm. couple of them missed their targets. There's no confirmation really one way or the other. Um, Ukrainian ambassador to Tehran has said that he doesn't believe that it was shot down, but that would appear to be a bit early to be making that kind of uh, uh, yeah. certain su suggestion, shouldn't it? it? It is early in the game. Um, it's hard to see um, a justification for targeting Ukraine or a, a Ukrainian um, flight. I, I think some people will be looking at um, the social media tweets. One of the Iranian leaders, Rouhani, uh, made a, a couple of days ago where he seemed to be alluding to the Lockerbie um, yeah. um, disaster. And he made some tweets re referring to the 1988 shooting down, I think it was, of uh, an Iranian airliner yes. by the Americans. Mm. Some people have always believed that Colonel Gaddafi didn't do Lockerbie, right. but that um, the Iranians did in retaliation for that. Um, it could be that was just a, a mischievous uh, tweet. It could be something more. Mm. I think we'll know over the next few days. Yes. But... Um, it would be very hard to see a justification for targeting Well, Ukraine. it would, wouldn't it? So, I mean, I would imagine it's more likely for it to have been a mistake if it turns out, because it's not absolutely certain yet that it was shot down. So, I mean, mm. it may well turn out that it was just a plane accident that happened, uh, a Ukrainian Airlines flight that was that, that was just somehow, you know, um, had something wrong with it. But if it was shot down, more than likely it would have been an error, wouldn't it? I, I think so. The, the priority for um, Iran 
is making a statement to its to its internal uh, audience and then striking back at those it sees as its enemies. And Iran has got a long list of enemies. The Ukrainians aren't on that. Right. So I, I, I do think it's I do think it's unlikely. Um, we're probably more likely to see. Um, if this this conflict continues, uh, the targeting of some of America's allies, uh, the Saudis, uh, perhaps uh, most likely, it's notable that um, I think the the number two to Mohammed bin Salman flew to the United States at the weekend, came back to the UK on his return, met with with Ben Wallace, the uh, the, the Defence Secretary. So the Saudis may well be be seeking uh, reassurance, mm. but. Uh, Iran attacked them just a few months ago. The yeah. drone strike on the uh, on the uh, oil fields. So it could be a case of more of the same from the Iranians. And, and as far as the Iran is concerned, I mean, like that particular attack you talk about in in, uh, in Saudi, it was kind of not an official Iranian attack, was it? It was it was a sort of a, a substitute, sort of Hezbollah stroke uh, dissident attack. Yes, they, they didn't claim full responsibility. Mm. And similarly with the interference in the shipping in the, the Straits of Hormuz, which, which occurred on a couple of different uh, yeah. occasions, there was that degree of plausible deniability right. that they, they didn't admit uh, that it was them. They demanded that the United Nations, that global opinion, uh, judge them. And, you know, to whatever extent, the Americans and Saudis put, put evidence um, forward. That having that degree of denial just means that in those those big debates that people are having, that you know the Iranians don't unite everybody against them. Right, and, and it would be an unpopular thing to say, I dare say, with an awful lot of people. But I mean, is it possible that Donald Trump's actually getting this right? Uh, well, there may well be be, be method in the madness. Um, the the shift that has occurred really is is the taking out of a senior figure in the regime yeah. rather than the sort of tokenistic type responses that we, we we've seen yeah. in the past or the uh, the the heightening of, of of rhetoric with with not very much um following i think trump trump has discombobulated the iranian side you know, in terms of their response to the greatest military crisis they've had for a very long time, the person who would have led that crisis has been removed from the field. Yes. So, so that's the skill, if you like, of uh, of Trump's action. And Trump doesn't behave really like a politician, does he? I mean, that's the difference. He doesn't do what Barack Obama would have done or what Bill Clinton would have done. I mean, we know that Bill Clinton used to fire all sorts of cruise missiles into the Hindu Kush looking for Osama bin Laden and failing to find him. Yeah. Um, but nobody would have said that a president of the United States would have done something so bold, I suppose. No, and uh, that's a, a strength and, and potentially uh, a weakness that Trump will act decisively, mm. and, and that's what he's done here. The suggestion seems to be that after the killing of the American contractor in a, uh, in a missile strike over Christmas by um, a, a pro-Iranian militia, that Trump was given a list of responses. Yeah. And, you know, a list of possible things to do. And obviously he's primarily focused on dealing with Iran by tightening the economic uh, stranglehold uh, that, that the US holds. This was on the list. That was the option uh, he chose. And I do think it's one that's defendable. And the question I put to the audience this morning, and I'd like you to call me on this one as well, please, 0344 499 1000. We are also live streaming. Uh, there was a bit of a problem with it earlier, but it seems to be working now. Uh, so uh, get onto YouTube, get onto Facebook, get onto Twitter and watch us as well as listening to us. The question I put to the audience earlier on, Paul, was, uh, are we safer today 
um, than we were yesterday because Iran has now acted in some way, shape or form, apparently not in a ca catastrophic way. At least, uh, you know, they haven't killed anybody, they haven't attacked any British mm. um, uh, nationals out there. Um, and if this is where, where it ends, then we're probably not doing too badly. The world's a safer place without Soleimani yeah. in it. Uh, I think we have to be quite clear on that. This is somebody who led uh, terrorist campaigns uh, across four uh, decades, state terrorist um, campaigns. There is a threat. And we need to be mature and to recognise that. But that threat was also here before mm. uh, the US actions. I mean, you know, we're, we're here today in London Bridge. Yeah. Look at the, the problems we've seen in this area sure. in recent years. So there are no guarantees, Mark. I'm yes, and you can't ab absolutely kind of disconnect those two things, can you? The attacks that have ta taken place on our shores, terror attacks, albeit that they might be organised by relatively sort of lone wolf type individuals, they are still nonetheless terrorist attacks inspired by a sort of doctrine that comes from places like Iran. Well, there's a, there's a particular uh, ideology, uh, a, a stripe within contemporary Islam, both within the Sunni and Shia traditions that sees the West as the enemy, sees the West as perpetually uh, at war uh, with Islam, as perpetually uh, evil, and looks to, to thrash out and continue... Uh, con continues to consider it an achievement to do so. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're we're a very long way from the end of the of, of that road in particular. There's no peace process there, I'm afraid. No, I'm afraid not. Dr Paul Stott, thank you very much indeed. Research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society. I want to hear from you on this one because there was an awful lot of action last night, particularly on social media, from the old doom mongers, you know, the people that said that Brexit was going to be a terrible disaster. The same people saying, oh, we're going to have World War Three. this is terrible, this is awful, this is ghastly. Well, it turns out that actually, as terrible as firing missiles is, and as terrible as any kind of conflict is, uh, as far as things could have gone, it's not that bad, is it? More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Working night to five. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Not just live on the radio now, also live streamed on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. We've got a growing army of people now watching us as well as listening to it. Lionheart says this, uh, if Labour's recent annihilation and their crushing defeat at the polls is down to the X-waves being transmitted from the fabulous Yuri Geller and it's him that's finally bent the spoon they've used to stir up such vitriol and political anarchy, then he should be applauded. Now, what better moment to introduce you to, of course, the man of the moment, Yuri Geller, uh, the psychic... Uh, the uh, the man who now wants to work for Dominic Cummings in Downing Street uh, and who has applied uh, for the job, which is uh, demanding uh, sort of geeks, weirdos and general data analysts to come and join them. Yuri, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hey, Mike, thank you very much for calling me. Yes, I'm speaking to you from Old Jaffa in Israel. OK. And uh, it, it is true that the word weirdos, that's what ignited my imagination. Yes. I... Uh, uh, you know that, but let, let's go back a few years, you know, that I know Boris. Boris visited my home when I lived in England in Sonning. Uh, so did Theresa May and so on. And actually, I freaked Boris out when I bent a spoon for him. Did you? <laughs> so he's a believer, right? right? I mean, he's definitely a believer. And just a few months ago, he sent some of his team, some of his parliamentarians to meet me 
here in Israel, in old Jaffa, I actually took them and showed them the giant spoon that I have outside my museum, which weighs 11 tons. And then I got a brilliant idea. First of all, I was very concerned that Jeremy Corbyn might um, get into Downing Street. My first mission was to get rid of Jeremy uh, Corbyn. So while they were standing by my giant spoon, and I know this sounds freaky and bizarre and strange, I went up to my apartment and pulled out a spoon that belonged to Golda Meir. Pri- okay. Prime Minister Golda Meir was one of the most successful prime ministers. I remember her well. She was a great energized, woman. Yep. I energized the spoon, gave it to uh, uh, Boris Johnson's close aide, and uh, I, I filmed this whole thing was filmed. And he said, Uri, I'll make sure to give this to Boris. There was no doubt in my mind that if Boris kept that spoon with him, he's, he was going to win big time. You know, and and so and so time. and so it turned out. So we've got you to thank for this. I mean, you you and I have spoken many times over the years. You've had uh, yeah. good wishes that you've given to the England team. I remember chanting with you one night when England were playing a very important game. Uh, that we got everybody chanting yeah. that was listening to Talk Sport at the time. Um, now uh, and we you're won. In, and, wait, and wait, they they did. We won. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And now, if you're entering the world of politics, which I know you've been involved in in the past, it's not like a new thing. What do you want to do if if they take you up on your offer? If Dominic Cummings comes to you and I call him the evil genius which is meant in a nice way because I think the guy's brilliant and I'm, I totally agree with you that using that word weirdo was perfect because you need to be a bit weird and a bit unusual to, to be successful in politics. Yeah well you know that Mike I have to look at my track record about you know what I've done. The Americans uh, took me to uh, convince the Russians in Geneva uh, to sign the nuclear arms reduction treaty. My task was to influence his, his mind, Yuli Voronsov, who is the head of the, the Russian team, to sign the treaty. They signed the treaty. Um, in in um, Switzerland, I also helped the Palestinian Red Crescent and the Israeli Red Cross to gel together and sign a historical agreement. As a matter of fact, the Swiss foreign minister, uh, her name is uh, Micheline Kalmeray, she basically said, Uri Geller, did not just help break the ice with the skills that made him famous, but a considerable number of bent spoons lined the road that led to this agreement. So she goes on that I played a pivotal role in helping everyone. Anyhow, so my contacts internationally are, um, are massive. They're mammoth. Um, I have the power and the ability to influence people. I can bring only positivity to Downing Street. I can make things happen. I care about the young people in England, and I will definitely brainstorm of how to help the young, young audiences, the young population, and then bring some mega, mega powerful deals to Downing Street uh, and uh, basically strengthen uh, the... Boris Johnson's role. Yes, because he's got a great opportunity now, uh, Yuri, to, um, to, to to change the face of Britain, which has been locked in a sort of, you know, stalemate for three years because of the whole Brexit situation. He's got a great opportunity. And I think what we do need is people with a bit of vision and a bit of positivity and, you know, get rid of all the negative thoughts, get rid of all the kind of, you know, pessimism that people have felt. And let's go on and, yeah. and actually do something worthwhile. Yeah, you know, you know that, Mike, I'm a huge believer in positive thinking. I always say that if you can go there with your mind, you can go there with your body. Whatever you can visualize, you can materialize. And I, I will also make sure that there are no negative thinkers around him. 
I take off my hat to Dom that he used these words uh, because we need people that think out of the box, people who are visionaries, people who can make things happen that today look, look to us very far out to achieve, but they are achievable. There is nothing, there's nothing, there's no word impossible. Everything that we think today is impossible is possible with, the, the, with our brain power, yes. with the positivity that our, our mind can emit. Look, before I sign off with you, I just want your listeners uh, to, to hear what the CIA concluded about my powers. Okay. This is directly from the CIA. They say, as a result of Geller's success in this experimental period, we consider that he has demonstrated his paranormal perceptual ability in a convincing and unambiguous manner. CIA. Anyhow, listen, Michael, <laughs> Well, listen, Yuri, listen, when you come to London, right, we want you to come and see us here at News UK, come into this beautiful building we have overlooking London Bridge and the Thames, right next to the Shard, uh, and come in and talk to some of our listeners as well, because I'm sure they would love to hear from you and they would love to hear some of the things you can do. And I'd also like you to come in and, and bend some of the, the spoons in our canteen here. <laughs> I, I promise I'll do that. Meanwhile, I'm sending a big hug, positive energy to all your listeners, and a big kiss from all Jaffa in Israel. Tremendous. Marvellous. Yuri, thank you very Bye. much indeed. Yuri Geller, uh, live from old Jaffa in Israel. A fantastic man. Now, a lot of people have got lots of things to say about Yuri Geller. A lot of people think he's a bit of a crank. A lot of people think that he's, you know, a bit of a con man. I have to tell you, I've been talking to this guy for a very long time over various different courses of years and various different radio shows and various different newspapers that I worked in. And Yuri Geller is an amazing character. He really is quite a remarkable uh, individual. Uh, and I think they could do a lot worse than getting somebody like him to work in Downing Street. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. In Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Not only can you listen to us live right here on Talk Radio, you can now watch us as well. We are live on YouTube, we are live on Facebook, and we are live on Twitter as well. McCall uh, says he disagrees about Iran's nuclear ambitions, uh, and he says Trump wants to withdraw from the Middle East. It costs too much for very little return. This is what he will do after he has degraded the regime in Iran. And I think if he does manage to degrade the regime in Iran, uh, that will be a job very well done. Now, a couple of people uh, have started making remarks about the way that I look 
look on the screen, which is fine with me. Uh, obviously, we live in a free country, unlike Iran and Iranians, and you can say whatever you like. Here's one from Terry, uh, who says, started the new YouTube week looking like a double glazing salesman. Midweek has moved to geography teacher. Uh, to finish off the week, will you be a homeless Jeremy Corbyn? Well, I've never been described as a geography teacher before, but, I mean, I could teach geography if that's what you'd like. I can give you a few lessons in uh, maps. I should say that Terry's uh, picture on her Twitter uh, has her with orange hair. So I'm not quite sure she's the best person to give me advice on sartorial elegance, to be honest. Mary says, I put you on the big screen, Mike, looking very professional. Will the tie go eventually? Well, it might do. I mean, it might well be that one day I start a show wearing a tie and the next day uh, I, I take the tie off or I take it off midway through the show. Today I've got the, the, the tie on uh, and a slightly open button at the top. If you haven't noticed, you can go and look on YouTube. Let's go to the phone zone. Talk to Russ, who's in Sussex. Hello, Russ. Hello, Graham. Graham, Mr. Graham. Mr. Graham, Hello. you can just call me Mike, that's fine, thank you. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell straight away this is going to go well, can't you? <laughs> well, listen, it's very easy. It's one of those Pavlovian things, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you call, if I say hello, Russ, you say hello, Russ, back to me. <laughs> yeah. It has been known. I'm not that famous. <laughs> so, what, you want to go work for Dominic Cummings, I hear? Well, I, I, as you were speaking about it earlier, you, you were saying things that my mind was just instantly going, well, that sounds like me, that sounds like me, tick, yeah. tick, tick. And I thought, well, OK, well, why not? So throw it back to your, your listeners. If they think that a normal person, I mean, I, I went in the army, I was a driver. I left the army, I, I drove buses. I spent 25 years driving tour buses for bands touring around Europe in the UK. Um, uh, five years ago, I started driving trucks again, as I was in the army, but in City Street. Right. And uh, I did the same touring bands, and uh, I, I, I take a lot of air freight from hubs, and I do the Formula One stuff and stuff like that. You know, I, I keep myself busy. And that sounds like you're very busy, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm on the road quite a lot, and I see people's uh, mannerisms in their driving. Yeah. They're an angry angry by nature then they're angry on the road and uh, I, I feel quite passionate about road safety mm. I joined the uh, motorcycle advanced motorcyclists with the IAM for my, my area in Sussex and within 12 months I was the vice chairman okay. um, I'm not very good sitting at a board table and it, it didn't bode well and, and that malarkey but I mean, long story short I left I was a, a, a volunteer for a blood bike charity in Sussex delivering blood for the NHS okay. out of hours free of charge within 18 months I'm the trustee and I'm training <laughs> you're obviously Russ, you're, one of, you're obviously one of those guys that's better at telling other people what to do than it is I mean I, I, I totally sympathise I'm the same I'm hopeless at being told what to do but I'm much better at telling other people well I think I'm a I'm, I'm a procrastinator so I'm, a, I'm an energy conservationist and I'm a lazy git <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm quick to see the the economic version of what it is I have been tasked to do and uh, I, I get it done in as quick as possible time as legally as possible and, and everything is just efficient and then I get myself more time off and then I'm thinking well my head is going so fast because I've been active and everything is done what can I do next? Right. So 
I'm and I'm doing it, you know, and I'm out there. Yeah, well, um, listen, I think you're exactly the kind of person that they're looking for because they're looking for all manner of different types of people and you're obviously a good communicator, Russ, and they're looking for people who can communicate. And also, one of the things that I think government in general suffers from is this terrible insularity where they don't go out on the road, they don't meet people from other parts of the country and they don't know what is going on in people's heads in the general public. They don't go to the local pub and talk to people, you know? Well, I'd like to ask you a question, Mike. Okay. It's, it's my solution to the tr road traffic problems. If I was to tell you, it would ease congestion mm. considerably. Um, it would have so many positive effects. It would, it would reduce killed and seriously injured accidents. Right. I don't like to call them accidents, incidents. But it's a very controversial fix, but very easy. So okay. I'd like your opinion. Go on then, the tell driving me. Light, a driving licence would only be valid for 10 years after the date in which you took your test. Yes. That's the first thing. The second thing, if you have an incident which causes damage to property or persons by which your insurance company has to pay out because you're the one responsible, then your licence becomes non-valid. You need to take your test again. Okay, I like that. But not a lot of people do. Yeah. No, now, I think, I think, because I, I, I think, and you will probably agree with me in this, driving uh, in this country has now become so bad. The number of times I drive up to a, a roundabout and the people who are to my right yes. don't know that yes. it's their right of way, I find it absolutely yes. staggering. Well, they don't. It's not that they don't know it's their. They know it's their. They know it's their right of way because you have to give way to the right. So that, what they do is they go faster still because they want to tell you convincingly you that they're, they're coming straight across. No, no, but I, no, but I see a lot of people who just come to a complete stop and they're looking at me and I'm looking at them and eventually I end up going first because they don't think they've got the right of way and I don't know why that is. Well, that's because they're a prank, Mike. Yeah, well, uh, there is that, obviously. <laughs> here's the approach to roundabouts advice to anybody who's a motorist. As you approach the roundabout, if there's traffic on the roundabout, and obviously you need to give way to the vehicles on the right, then you're preparing to stop. But do not focus on the cars yeah. on the roundabout. Focus on the gaps, because that's what you're looking for to join the roundabout. Yes. And if you're coming off at the first exit, please do use your indicator. If you're coming off to the right, please do use your indicator, because that tells the people joining the roundabout yeah. your intentions. And that saves energy, that saves fuel, that saves aggression, that saves everything, it keeps the continuity, it stays, saves the people stopping behind you. So just keep the traffic flowing, arrive on the roundabout, look for the gap and go for it, people. Go for You're it! You're a man after my own heart, Russ. If only you could tell everybody that and have a big sign up, you know, planks only, please read this sign. The other one that drives me absolutely stark, staring bonkers mad are the people who come up to a stop sign and basically don't stop. They just keep going. Uh, yeah, well, that's because they have been on that same junction so many times. And there is a thing that comes into mind, um, not my mind, because I'm struggling to remember what the word is. Uh, but they, they come up to that scenario so many times and they, they know that there's nothing coming. They know that they can get away with it. They know there's not a police officer. They know they, but until something happens, 
then they don't know what yeah. to do either. No, I know. So, Listen, Russ, you are a man after my own heart, as I said. I think you should go and apply to a job uh, at Downing Street. I'm sure they can find you something useful to do because you've got a lot of common sense, you talk a lot of common sense, uh, and I'm sure you could pass all that common sense on, which is sadly lacking in large parts of this country, particularly inside motor cars. Instantly recognisable, of course, that tune, isn't it? I mean, top of the planks uh, was one uh, phrase that we might use uh, at some point, and certainly over the course of this year, there's going to be an awful lot of planks entered into Plank of the Week, which is, of course, a new TV show uh, launched yesterday by myself, uh, by Russell Quirk and by Anunziata Rees-Mogg, uh, who joined me for the first inaugural Plank of the Week. We've got Russell on the phone now to tell us how it all went. I thought it was a great success, and many of you have already seen it, but go and find it on YouTube and uh, find it on Twitter and go and, and watch it. Russell, uh, very good morning to you. Welcome back. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Wasn't now, it fun? Wasn't it fun? I mean, what we did discover was that actually um, we had more names to put into the list than, than we had room for. Yeah, I think there's room for a top 20 every week, <laughs> let alone the top one. Um, it, it was genuinely a real struggle. And it? it's supposed to be, still be quite a quiet time of the year, isn't it? But it is. The, the kind of the, the rank hypocrisy and the buffoonery, actually, that uh, we were sat there assessing is, um, is copious, I think it's fair to say. Well, I mean, interestingly enough, you, you brought some very uh, unusual uh, names to the table because obviously I was thinking more in terms of people. You actually brought Highbury Magistrates Court in. And I don't know whether you've yeah. seen that I've now basically compiled a top 10 list of, of our three uh, choices each, uh, the winner, of course, as well, but also I've just kept one in from the week before, uh, which, is, which was Prince Harry, who's still there uh, because they're now talking about dropping the Royal Highness names and moving to Canada. Yes. No, it's wonderful because it's, of course, it's uh, it's like the old, uh, the hit parade, isn't it? So your hybrid magistrate's called straight in at number eight. Yes. Um, <laughs> which, um, I don't know if you've had any reaction from anyone on the list this morning, if you might. We haven't tried uh, to recommend the winner yet because we don't want to sort of spoil everybody's fun. But, of course, the list is out there on Twitter for all to see. So I suppose you could be the first person uh, to run down the list for us and tell us uh, precisely <laughs> why they're all there. I mean, George Osborne at number 10, a lot of people were thinking, well, why is he in? Involved. I mean, George Osborne hasn't done anything for ages, but Anunziato Rees-Mogg was very keen to put him in there, not least because he was responsible in the first instance for setting up the HS2 project. Yeah, he's responsible for a lot of things. He, he should almost be, as we said yesterday, quite a permanent figure. <laughs> so he, he's kind of in at number 10 and perhaps will stay in the top 10 for some foreseeable uh, yes, time. Right. And, and look, from being a property guy, as I am, as you know, you know, what George Osborne did in terms of talking down the property market in the run-up to the EU referendum in 2016 was criminal. Mm. Um, you know, he, he said that if the UK voted to leave the EU, just voted, let alone actually left, that property prices would plummet and it would be kind of financial Armageddon for every property owner across the UK. And actually, he was, I think as we discussed, 27% wrong. In terms of <laughs> Which is Versus a staggering it's just a staggering margin of error, that, isn't it? Well, it is a terrible margin of error, particularly for the man that holds the purse strings, as he did, of the entire UK. Mm. Um, so, you know, talk about not being qualified to do his job. So, look, a, a, a worthy, worthy entrance. Yes. And let's just concentrate on your ones for the moment. Harvey Magistrates Court, you put them in there because of the way that they handled a particular case, didn't you? 
Yeah, I did. Look, you, you may remember, listeners will remember that there was this this, this terrible case but before Christmas, actually, of Catherine Jenkins, the singer, being mugged for her phone. And she was mugged for her phone as a consequence of going to the aid of a pensioner who had had her bag snatched by some 16, 17-year-old scroped, um, who then ran off um, but was captured by the police. Mm. The news. Um, and obviously, you know, right-minded citizens like us, Mike, we think, well, look, you know, you've been nabbed by the police. You, you've not committed one but two crimes. You know, we've got in London now... Um, uh, and the rest of the UK, in London particularly, I, I, I would call it almost a crime epidemic mm. with regard to muggings, knife crime and so on. Well, do you know what so, I didn't mention actually yesterday when this came up was that I read a headline, I think it was in The Telegraph a couple of days ago, in which it said something like only one in 400 car thieves is now actually caught. Yeah, and, and then we sit there wondering why, you know, scratching our heads, why why is this crime issue such a big thing? You know, why why do we have a situation as citizens, taxpayers, and kind of right-minded, ordinary people where we're kind of scared to go out, particularly on the streets of London, because we might get knives, mm. stabbed, mugged, or whatever. And, and I'll tell you why, and it, it's, it's not because of police, it's not because of any lack of effort or seeming lack of resource on their part. They're, they are catching people to a degree, but then we end up with the magistrates, hence the hybrid magistrates court uh, entry, um, that let them off. So this, this particular person, whoever she is, you know, two young to be named and shamed, apparently, from a right. uh, legal perspective. Uh, but this particular person, despite what she did, you know, caught for not one, but two muggings. Right. And those won't have been the, the first two letter. muggings she ever carried out either, by the way. No, of course not. And the magistrates let her walk on the basis that she said that she, as penance, would apologise face-to-face to the famous celebrity, Catherine Jenkins. Um, and apparently the magistrates at Highbury Corner think that that's perfectly sufficient as penance uh, and let her walk away, no doubt, to commit another crime, perhaps before she even yeah. got home that day. unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And your next uh, nomination made it a lot higher up, though. Jeremy Corbyn in at number two um, stayed uh, in there from last week, funnily enough. But uh, even though he lost the election in December, you still think he's a worthy uh, name to be on the list? He's definitely a top two plank, as he is uh, on the basis that (laughs) most leaders leaders have the good grace when they've had the most humiliating election defeat that the Labour Party's seen since, uh, well, the 1930s, I think. Uh, You would imagine that he'd fall on his sword and, and resign straight away yes. and let somebody else come in as caretaker uh, and then step out of the way. Instead, he has kind of dug his heels in, not only stayed in place, but he's acting as though nothing's ever happened. It's kind of um, it's delusional to say It really is, and we're going to be hearing from him shortly on Prime Minister's questions, which should be quite interesting, because uh, particularly if he starts to try and pick apart Boris Johnson's policy uh, on Iran. Let's have a little listen, though, to uh, a clip from yesterday's TV show. You can go and see the whole thing on YouTube. Have a listen to this. Jolian Moore, or Jolian Moron, as I like to call him, (laughs) is going to still be a nomination for me because, of course, famously, wearing his wife's kimono Hmm. with a bit of a hangover, it would seem, he decided that it would be a good idea to beat to death uh, with a baseball bat a fox that was tied up in his backyard uh, due to some string that he'd put out to protect his chickens. And then he thought it was an even better idea to tweet about it and tell the entire world. To go and tweet that he's done it. I mean, mm. yes, your, your, your naming of the man in terms of your I mean, paraphrasing is very appropriate. I can be surprised by the response to his tweet. I had a look at his profile. He's tweeted over 100,000 times. Oh, yeah. And he's got over 100,000 followers. You would think he'd got used to how Twitter works. Yes. And if you tweet something absolutely disgusting, people are going to jump Do on you. Think he's are. killed his own career. Has he I done a rap? He done. Has he done a rap? I think he actually has. Well, Julian uh, Maugham, as we call him, uh, has still stayed on the charts in there at number three. Nobody's heard from him since Boxing Day. And a good question there, actually, uh, from you, Russell, was uh, has he killed his own career? be amazing if he has. 
Mm, I think he might have done. I, I mentioned Ratner, I think, yesterday. Yes. kind of comparable. Um, I, I think that Jolien is so, you know, deluded mm. by his own apparent success, which, as you rightly pointed out yesterday, he's had no success at all, really. No. He loses every case that he brings. Um, you know, he's kind of so so up there in, in wokeness uh, and kind of, you know, false arrogance that, um, that yeah, he's, he's gone a step too far and thinks he's perfectly okay to go and, you know, kill a wild animal, yeah. be it, um, you know, bothering his chickens or whatever they were doing, but then to tweet about it gleefully as if it's something to be proud of. Yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah. And, and look, keeping quiet, will that get him out of trouble? No, I suspect not. Will then in the future people that want to engage a barrister on the basis of not just capability but credibility, I would put a serious question mark over Jolien insofar as anybody will ever want to engage him ever again. No, quite. I think a lot of us would also welcome his disappearance from social media because he's one of the most boring tweeters alive. Luckily for me, he's actually blocked me, so I don't have to read his drivel. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but a lot of people have to, unfortunately. And finally, uh, why don't I leave it to you to, to tell us who the plank of the week finally was and how we decided it. Yeah, the plank of the week was an, it was unanimous in the end, and it was uh, uh, actually it was a nomination that I think any one of the three of us could have put forward. But uh, in the end, it was uh, Miss Reese Mogg that uh, suggested Ed Davy yes. MP. So Ed Davy, of course, is the caretaker leader of the Liberal Democrats, um, and also seems to have delusion syndrome and a very short memory, <laughs> I might say. Um, so he he has suggested now that there should be a very expensive public inquiry into why we all voted, or the majority of us voted for Brexit, and the ensuing fracas thereafter. Now, um, why I think Ed Davey is a particularly worthy winner is, A, he is a huge hypocrite on the basis that, of course, the Liberal Democrats, as soon as they got into bed with the Conservatives in 2010, basically went back on every single promise that they made to the electorate, not least on tuition fees. Um, so, you know, look, he, he's a, a, a massive, massive hypocrite, um, but also I would answer his own question for him insofar as why... Uh, Brexit was protracted and troublesome insofar as the three and a half years after the vote. And that was because of people like Ed Davey yes. <laughs> uh, that blocked and obstructed uh, and tried to overturn the Democratic vote of 52% of the yeah. electorate. So and, and, also, and also, by the way, his party was so unpopular, their policies were so unpopular, that their own leader got kicked out of office. Yeah, and they've ended up with however many years. You can count their MPs almost on one hand, can't you? So, I think it's, I think it's yeah. 11, isn't it? Yeah, but, but, but actually what is particularly irritating about all this is that it seems to be perfectly acceptable for the likes of Ed Davey to then go and spend £15 million of taxpayers' money on a public inquiry that we know will have absolutely no benefit, no positive outcome or meaning whatsoever. What a plank. <laughs> exactly right. And what better way to end this conversation? Russell, thank you very much indeed. It was a pleasure working with you. Russell Quirk there, uh, as he says, unanimously uh, between the three of us, we came up with Ed Davey, Plank of the Week. Uh, we might actually give him some kind of prize. We might call his office and say, would you be willing to come in to Talk Radio Towers to accept your offering today uh, and all of this week? Plank of the Week Award, uh, Ed Davey, head, acting head of the Liberal Democrat Party. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.